Hello there, and welcome back to the Yamcast. My name is Erica. I'm Chris. And what we like to do on this podcast is we like to go through books of the Bible and kind of show how they are applicable, even in today's day and age, to young adults. It's timeless. Some of the things are a little uh, dated, but yes, the majority of it. Still applicable. It's timeless. All right. So with that said, if you want to talk to us, if you hear something and you're not sure what you heard and you want to get us to clarify it or answer a question for you later down the road, a couple ways to reach out to us, the social medias at the Yamcast. That's Mm -hmm. our little tag there. Or you can email us yamcastpod at gmail.com. Yes, you can. We'd love to hear from you. We would. So start off this episode, I want to ask you a question. What is your best day of the week? So when you say best day, are you meaning favorite? No. Like what day do you feel the best? Probably. Um, I can tell you the day I feel not the best is usually Thursdays. Me too. I know that one. Me too. Interesting. Which is why I'm bringing it up. Because, because it is Thursday. Because this week we're recording on a Thursday. <laughs> so if you I feel, think about that. If, if in any way you feel like this is <laughs> not the best version of Erica and Chris... The reason for that is this is my worst day of the week. Yeah, I usually get to Thursday. And actually, I slept really well last night. That has not been sure. the case for a couple of the last nights. Last, whatever, you know what I mean. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, and actually, I started taking, I took a vitamin D supplement today. Ooh. And some B12. Wow. And I have not felt tired at all today. So I don't know if it's the sleep. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's those two supplements. Sure. I don't know, but I've I've actually felt above average today. <laughs> Isn't that great? So my my issue with Thursday, it is that's fantastic. I don't want to not answer your question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is awesome for you. I love that. <laughs> Here's the problem with Thursday for me. I work Sundays through Thursdays, and mm. Thursdays do not feel like a Friday for me. Whereas you work on Fridays, mm-hmm. and Fridays are not your worst day because no. it's like it's a weekend. It's my best day. As soon as I get out and in a few minutes here, we're good to go. For me, I feel like my voice is tired by Thursday. I feel like Thursdays are the day I spend my whole day getting junk done that I didn't want to do the rest of the week. And I typically find myself being bombarded with things that I never thought I'd have to deal with. So when I get home on Thursday night, this is not the night that my family gets my best Mm. me. My family gets the best me on like a Saturday. Yeah. Because I've rested on Friday and then Saturday is my good to go before I lock and load on Sunday and get mm-hmm. going again. And my best day for church folks is probably Tuesday. Hmm, which is good because that is when we usually record. Yeah. So so that's not a, totally what I'm bringing up. I'm just saying I, I thought it'd be helpful for people out there like, man, Chris This, seems, this Chris episode doesn't off. quite seem great. This is my worst day of the week. Yeah, I find that, yeah, when Thursday <laughs> usually rolls around, I, I mean, we've just been doing this for four days now. It's like about four days and I'm tired you know i almost think it'd be nice to go like monday tuesday have wednesday off thursday friday sure saturday sunday off (laughs) (laughs) i would like monday tuesday off wednesday half day friday full day thursday off saturday sunday off yeah sounds great day and a half of week work and you just pay me the same amount how's that work can can this happen yeah no it does not how it works but But i don't know if i would know what my best day is like where i feel my bet, you know, like, oh, I, I bet yeah. you mine would probably be Saturdays. Yeah. Because. That's, that's my long run day. Yeah. I get the most stuff done. I usually have my, my slower morning, which I really like a slow yep. morning. Yep. But yeah, during the week, I don't know what my best day would be. 
I mean, I think, yeah, Fridays I'm like in the best mood. Sure. For sure. And I am too. It's just that I'm tired from yes, a long you're week. recovering. And my kids are at school and it's like Heidi and my day to just chill. So Fridays are like super chill. Which is awesome. kind of nice. It's my Sabbath. I don't really answer phone calls. I very mm-hmm. rarely respond to texts. I don't do email. I stay away from everyone that I possibly can. If I see someone at a grocery store that I know, <laughs> I like Go the dis- other way. I disappear or act like I didn't see them. <laughs> Masks are really helpful right now <laughs> in that regard. So anyway, all that to say, I am, I'm stoked about doing this podcast with you today. Mm-hmm. At the same time, this is not the best version yes, of me. Yes, which, and actually, usually Thursdays are not my best day, but today. You're killing it today. Today, I am just, I'm awake. Well, Great. I just want you to know that I'm really glad that you wore that backpack here to the podcast today so that I can climb in it and you can carry me through this whole episode. <laughs> and just for the listener, she's not wearing a backpack. I did not. However, the beautiful thing with the podcast is you can make anything real. You have no idea. Yeah. So I'm wearing my uh, John Elton John glasses today, the stars with the bright sparkly things on them. All right, there we go. Read through. Read through. Here we go. Verse 1 of Hosea Mm. chapter 9. Rejoice not, O Israel. Exult not like the peoples. For you have played the whore, forsaking your God. You have loved a prostitute's wages on all threshing floors. I don't know if anybody missed hearing the word whore, but here we are again. It came up again. It is here. It's weird. It's quite a way to start a chapter. Mm -hmm. Um, Rejoice not. Like, do not be excited. Do not be full of praise. Like, I love it's like, exult not like the peoples. Right. Like, you should feel sad. Right. Because you have forsaken me everywhere. Like, on all threshing floors. Like, everywhere. Right. There's not a place that you have honored me. So do not be excited. Totally. And part of this is because the threshing floor would be the place that you would begin the celebrations. Because you have gotten the weed out, it's ready mm. to go. So your parties would always start on the threshing floors. And what he's saying is, no, you not only, there's no party to start here, not only that, but there's nothing to celebrate because you have used those very floors to accept wages that you shouldn't have accepted. Mm. A very vivid picture from our God through the prophet Hosea. Yeah. Verse two, threshing floor and wine vat shall not feed them and the new wine shall fail them. They shall not remain in the land of the Lord, but Ephraim shall return to Egypt, and they shall eat unclean food in Assyria. So one of my questions was, I mean, we know that Assyria takes over. Yep. Do they actually return to Egypt, or how does that, or is that just a metaphor for something? Okay, so super fast, because this would be like a whole deeper dive conversation that we don't I did, haven't even thought about doing this. Maybe mm-hmm. maybe we should. The idea of empire in the Bible is varied all over the place. And every time that the idea of empire is brought up, it is used in a matrix of ideas. It could be Ephraim, or sorry, not Ephraim. It could be Egypt. It could be Assyria. It could be Babylon. It could be Rome. So whatever is the yes. empire, the so, big, the so big even, honcho. Totally. So even in Revelation 19, God is speaking of the great empires of the world. He uses Babylon, clearly talking about Rome. Here, Assyria is the, the country that is going to take the northern kingdom away. Mm-hmm. Egypt, they're, they're basically going into slavery like they were in Egypt. So whoever the big daddy is at the time. So just making that connection. That is a world power that is the, the one that they're, they're ultimately going to end up in. Yeah. So really with Egypt, it's talking about the slavery. That is kind of making that connection back to the slavery that they had. Yeah, because up until now, they don't okay. know what Assyria is going to do. 
Mm-hmm. But to link Assyria with Egypt tells you, oh, okay. Now this isn't going to be great That's what us. it's going to be. And there's really two kingdoms in the Bible that are being talked about consistently, the kingdom of earth and the kingdom of heaven. And these two things don't go together. The kingdom of earth is bloodthirsty and power-driven and hungry for terrible, terrible things. The kingdom of heaven is meek, mild, doing different things. And ultimately, the kingdom of heaven is going to win. The problem is those two things are living side by side on this earth right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have to deal with that. We have to think that through. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's a really, it's a cool concept. It's a, I'm glad you asked the question. Maybe I'll write it into a deeper dive sometime in the next couple of weeks to kind of go into it further, but it's good. Mm-hmm. All right, verse four. They shall not pour drink offerings of wine to the Lord, and their sacrifices shall not please him. It shall be like mourner's bread to them. All who eat of it shall be defiled. For their bread shall be for their hunger only. It shall not come to the house of the Lord. So again, kind of making that reference that offerings and sacrifices mean nothing. Mm-hmm. They're only being done for themselves. Um, and God is not going to be honored by them. So, No, it won't. I, <laughs> I want to point out, I don't know what mourner's bread tastes like, but it does not sound appetizing. You know, like if you went into a supermarket and they're like, try some of our mourner's bread. I'm like, no, I'm good. I just think of a funeral. <laughs> Do they have bread at funerals? <laughs> no, you should. But like, think of mourner's bread being like the saddest bread you can find. You're like, oh. And you like pick it up and you just automatically are sad. Oh. Right. Or like in a Harry Potter way, it's bread that cries or something. You know, and you're oh. like, oh, it's just terrible. It's a puddle underneath, you know, and you're like. <laughs> like it's soggy. It's soggy, oh. wet bread and it's crying. That actually is fantastic. <laughs> it's like a mandrake <laughs> screaming and howling. <laughs> And then makes you cry, pass out, you know, all those things. Yeah, I'm out. No mourner's bread for me today. All right, verse 5. What will you do on the day of the appointed festival and on the day of the feast of the Lord? For behold, they are going away from destruction, but Egypt shall gather them. Memphis shall bury them. Nettles shall possess their precious things of silver. Thorns shall be in their tents. The days of punishment have come. The days of recompense have come. Israel shall know it. The prophet is a fool. The man of the spirit is mad because of your great iniquity and great hatred. Fun? Um, Yeah, I mean, he's like, you will see coming up what what I'm saying is true. You will eventually understand. You might not understand right now. I didn't know that they were already going to reference America. With Memphis? What? Tennessee? (laughs) That's crazy. How did they already know that? Yeah. Yeah, I think in the next chapter they talk about Nash Vegas too. It's really great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, Erica. In speaking of your connection to uh, Egypt that you already pulled out, Memphis is one of the great cities of Egypt. Oh, yeah. It's right. actually I, I feel very. I mean, I knew obviously that there wasn't talking about America, <laughs> yes. but I feel very um, like ignorant American that when I see that, I'm sure. like, I don't know where it actually came from. Right. You know. Right. I mean, I knew that they weren't, like, referencing, <laughs> you know, Memphis, Tennessee. But, I, yeah, I feel that, like, that ignorant Ameri- American person where that was, like, that's not original. I remember the first <laughs> where time. Where did that come from? Well, the first time that I learned that there was a York, England. Oh, I was like, yeah. <laughs> oh, that makes so much sense now, <laughs> you know. Right. There's an Orleans in France, and this is New Orleans. That makes so much sense. Is it so funny? We are ridiculous where we kind of grow up, and you live in your own little bubble, mm-hmm. and then you learn that, oh, there's other things out there. So, yes, M- Memphis, Tennessee. There are things that were before. I'm not sure why Memphis, Tennessee chose Memphis, the great city of Egypt, to name itself, but, you know, barbecue, same thing. <laughs> 
Yes. The same thing. Yeah. They clearly knew what they were doing. <sighs> yeah. So anyway, that's uh, that's the Memphis that's being talked about there, dealing with Egypt. But yeah, it, it's it's bad and uh, crazy, and it's it's getting worse. Verse 8, the prophet is the watchman of Ephraim with my God, yet a fowler's snare is on all his ways and hatred in the house of his God. They have deeply corrupted themselves as in the days of Gebeah. He will remember their iniquity. He will punish their sins. So I heard Gebeah, and I was like, is this back to Judges? I had to go it double is. check. I went back to Judges 9, yep. 10. I can't remember which one exactly. And I was like, oh, that is the same Gebeah that defiled that man's concubine. Yep. And then he split it up into pieces. Yep. And sent it to all the tribes. Yep. So this is the Gebeah. I mean, they are referencing that from Judges, right? Oh, yeah. That defilement. No, the connection here is definitely, and every commentary that I've blitzed through is saying that same thing. It's clearly pointing out that this is like the days of the judges. Yeah. So, so that's, that's so not good. good. Yeah. yeah it, this is this is not going well. Which really pulls this whole podcast together. We started with Judges. It's true. We're ending with Hosea. All right, everybody. Great uplifting books right. that we read here. <laughs> All right, everybody. This was fun well, doing this podcast for you. All right, see you. Lots of what not to do, which is great. Yeah. Those are still helpful. Very helpful. I mean, it's always good to know, too. I think sometimes people think of the Bible as just this holy book that only has holy things in it. And it's like, no, it has, it runs the gambit of everything. It does. Right? Like, good, the bad, and the very ugly. And so right. it's good to know. It's there. Yeah. It's and not shied away from. It is very much talked about. And yeah. Yeah. And all this is with. intentional. I mean, it's pulling into other things to make sure that you're seeing the connections, that you're noticing that the really bad is not what God is aiming for. Mm-hmm. And because that's the really bad that God's not aiming for, Egypt or Assyria is, is the next move for you, right? Mm-hmm. Or Babylon, you know, 100 years later to the, to the Judeans. Verse 10, like grapes in the wilderness, I found Israel. Like the first fruit on the fig tree in its first season, I saw your fathers. They came to Baal Poor and consecrated themselves to the thing of shame and became detestable like the thing they loved. So I like in the beginning of this, this is probably the first time in this chapter at least that we've seen like a tenderness, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um just like speaking of God's heart where he's like, I found you in the wilderness. I saw you from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And then I can just imagine this next part, like the but you turned away from me and you're worshiping shameful things, other things besides myself. And just like how much that has to break his yeah. heart, you know? Yeah. Like I saw you from the very beginning and now you're choosing to do this and it is... Really sad. Yeah. And I wonder how much of this is, uh, like, I think when you think of promised land, everybody thinks of milk and honey as being just unending. You know, like you walk into Israel and it's raining milk and honey. Mm -hmm. is like falling out of all the trees. The land of milk and honey, I think I brought this up before, but it really just means that God's going to take care of your needs. It's a pastoral pastoral thing like in order for you to actually eat milk and honey you have to raise animals and you have to take care of bees so in order to do that 
those things just don't produce themselves. You have to actually take care of something else. And while that's happening, he's taking care of you. You have to work. Correct. And when you get to Israel, the promised land isn't as green as everybody thinks it's going to be. However, up north, like Baal Peor, it is very green. It's over by Mount Hermon, this the place that we talked about in Judges. And so you can almost sort of imagine, just imagine getting to the promised land and you're looking around and you're going, wait, this is it? Mm-hmm. And then you go a little north and you're like, oh, this is really nice. We should set up shop here. And I think part of what God's saying here is you, you didn't trust me to take care of you. You went off and found something that you thought was a little better. I didn't Easier give you and, that. Mm-hmm. I wasn't giving you easy. I was giving you something that we could grow together. I want to show you what it looks like to grow in me and to develop and you to know, rely I, I on me, not right. on what looks good in the land. And totally. And I'm not suggesting that God needs to grow, but it's this, this idea of our relationship will grow together as we work together on this. That's beautiful. And it that's not what happened. Israel, just like we do, was looking for a shortcut, looking for a way out. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know how many people come to me and they just go, my life is out of control. God must hate me. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Like God teaches us stuff in the valleys. That's when we learn and grow the most. Unfortunately, we, we like to short circuit that situation, you know, so. Because it's, yeah, it's hard. Yeah. And we don't, we don't, we don't like hard as humans. Right. So. And so instead of hard, we'll, we'll choose to worship shameful things. Mm-hmm. And that's not a good thing. Verse 11, Ephraim's glory shall fly away like a bird. No birth, no pregnancy, no conception. Those are for you, by the way. Verse 12, even if they bring up children, I will bereave them till none is left. Woe to them when I depart from them. I mean, just like he's, yeah, letting them know the consequences. This is some stuff that's going to happen. And it doesn't sound fun. No, there's nothing in verse 11 and 12 that makes me happy. So that's sad. But that's the situation that we're in. And we've been talking about this since chapter 1. I mean, this is really God just landing on thick here. Verse 13, Ephraim, as I have seen, was like a young palm planted in a meadow, but Ephraim must lead his children out to slaughter. Wow. Give them, O Lord, what will you give? Give them a miscarrying womb and dry breasts. Every evil of theirs is in Gilgal. There I began to hate them. Because of the wickedness of their deeds, I will drive them out of my house. I will love them no more. All their princes are rebels. Ephraim is stricken. Their root is dried up. They shall bear no fruit. Even though they give birth, I will put their beloved children to death. My God will reject them because they have not listened to him. They shall be wanderers among the nations. So, obviously this first, well, the majority of into the last verse is all God speaking. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess verse 14 says, Give them, O Lord, what will you give? And then God responds like, Lots of, basically, they're not going to prosper. Their families are going to be ruined. Um, yeah, they're not going to have food. Just like, again, we've kind of talked about this previously, where they're going to come to the end of themselves. Yep. So that they eventually actually turn back to God. And then at the very end is is Hosea. I imagine speaking. Yeah. When he says, my God will reject them because they have not listened to him. Sure. They shall be wanderers among the nations. Sure. Yeah, I mean, you, you look at it and you just go, holy cow. It looks like God's talking pretty strongly. And then 
I, I, I'm with you. I think what Hosea is doing there is just sort of dropping the... So because God said all this in chapter, you know, he wouldn't have said verses 1 through 16 because we're, no, the, ones, we're the ones that put that on there. But, you know, 1 through 16 is that. So 17, this is what my God is saying. You know, he's going to reject you because you've not listened to him. And now they're going to be wanderers among the nations, which is a theme that we've brought up since the beginning of this podcast. This idea of nations is everybody around and mm-hmm. they all act the same. They all do their thing. They all serve other gods. They all kind of do their thing. And God's like, no, this isn't going to be how it works. I'm going to put you out there with them, and we're going to see what's going to happen. Now, what's beautiful is we've already had this previous chapters, and it's going to point to in the next couple of chapters, but God's going to use even that to draw the nations to himself. So none of it's hopeless. Mm-hmm. It's all working according to plan, even if it's not working the way that it should have worked. Yeah. So, alrighty, from that, we move into the deeper dive. Uh, this time, I just want to talk really quickly about the 12 tribes. And if you're a Bible nerd or not, uh, probably more if you're not a Bible nerd, you're noticing maybe that the 12 sons of Jacob do not match up with the 12 tribes of Israel in the mm-hmm. way that you would expect them to. So if you were to go back into Genesis, you know, 36 around there, 34, 36, you're going to start to see that Jacob's having kids. There's 12 boys. We have reference of one daughter, one daughter Dinah. Yeah. There's other daughters. There have to be. I mean, there's just no way around it. But these 12 sons all, you know, do lots of things. They're serving their dad. They set up shop. They have kids of their own. They build their own tribe, so to speak. You know, they throw their brother in a pit and try to sell him off as a slave. You know, ordinary. We ordinary call it, things. We call it Tuesday. But they, you know, <laughs> they call it, you know, whatever. So you have these 12 tribes. They seem to have some issues with one another right off the get-go. And part of that's because Jacob has six mm-hmm. you know, six, six kids with one wife two kids with another wife, those, th- those two are the last two that he has with Rachel. Okay, so he has, he has four with uh, Leah and then a couple with Rachel's servant and then a couple with Leah's servant then a couple more with Leah and then finally ends up with two from Rachel. Mm-hmm. And those are the two that he loves the most, Joseph being the first, and he jacks him up and makes him like the ruler of the yeah. whole family. Uh, and he gets a little big-headed about it, has some dreams about everybody bowing down to him. Crazy and decides weird. to share them, you yeah. know. Hey, everyone. You guys hear the dream I had? You bowed down to me. Uh, yeah, that's not fun. If you're the 11th child in a family, um, be quiet. You might not want to. Hi, especially when your father already yep. favors you. When he gave you the fancy coat. Maybe just hide in the corner with that fancy coat. Count the threads. Figure out how many colors you got. <laughs> I don't know. So <laughs> Joseph, and then and then just below him is Benjamin, mm-hmm. who... Those two are like the most beloved of the children. So now you've got 10 kids from other people. Things are bad. It's a, it's a tough family to be in in the first place. Everybody's vying for attention. Everybody's vying for all this affection and stuff. Now, when Joseph goes down to Egypt, Joseph marries an Egyptian priestess's daughter. And they have, a, they have two children, Manasseh and Ephraim. And what's curious is when, when we went through Judges, if you were going through Judges, you'll notice that that there is no tribe of Levi as far as having a space. There is no judge coming from Levi. Now we have a Levite who does a few things, but the Levites didn't actually have any land. They had a couple cities that were given to them within the land because they, as priests, were supposed to be serving the whole tribe of Israel, all of them, all 12 tribes. But they don't really have any of their own land, so they're not one of the 12 tribes that's mentioned anywhere else. You're also never finding a tribe called Joseph. Mm -hmm. So what ends up happening is Manasseh and Ephraim are blessed by Jacob in 46 and 48 of Genesis. And that blessing leads to them actually becoming their own tribes. 
So Joseph ends up with two tribes. Levi has no land, so they're they're counted in the 12 tribes in the beginning, but they're not one of the 12 mm-hmm. tribes that's constantly talked about. So the reason why I'm bringing all this up is this passage in most of Hosea so far has brought up Ephraim over and over and over again. And if you're a Bible nerd, you're probably going, I don't even remember them as one of the sons. Like, where is this coming from? You know, Dan. Oh, I remember Dan. You know, uh, you know, Jacob has Joseph. Yeah, I remember Joseph. I remember Benjamin. I remember Gad. I remember Asher. Like, mm-hmm. you could just go through this list. Simeon, Reuben. Like, you've got all these guys. But then you might be going, where is Ephraim and Manasseh coming from? So because Jacob loved Joseph as much as he did, he took Joseph's two sons and blessed them in such a way that they became their own tribes. And Manasseh sets up shop on the, you know, the east end of the Jordan River. So they don't even fully go into the promised land. Mm. They kind of have the northern land on the, the east side of the Jordan River. And then they have some land on the western side of the Jordan River. But they fight with, with Israel to help clear the land. And then they have this massive strip of land, basically. Uh, Ephraim is similar. It's just below where Manasseh is on the map. And those two tribes are significant tribes. They make some major headway. Like we did a whole tribes thing when we did our judges episode way back when. And these two tribes are significant. They are major players in the whole conversation. So even part of what God's saying here in in chapter 9 and elsewhere is, Ephraim, I gave you blessing upon blessing. Like you you are given a status that you don't deserve. And all you've done is take that, which I think might be part of the reason why God is using a phrase like Ephraim to talk about the whole northern kingdom as opposed to him picking one of the other northern kingdoms mm-hmm. or other tribes. Like he could, he could have picked another tribe in the north and said, oh, you know, you're like such and such. And everyone would have been fine with that. They would have totally known what that meant. Ephraim has a, an extra set of a, a power or authority, you know, um, he doesn't refer to the northern tribes as Naphtali. He doesn't refer to the northern tribes as Asher or Issachar or Zebulun uh, or even Gad. He just talks about them as Ephraim, yeah. which, which is interesting. And so it starts to make you go, where's Ephraim coming from? And that's why I thought I would do this for the deeper dive. There's a connection there. And then what's really curious is there's a number of places that the 12 tribes are named throughout the whole Bible. And I'm not going to do this for you here. But go look at all the times it's used. The tribes never quite line up. Mm. Most of the time, the 12 tribes have different people added in or not. Uh, in, For example, in Revelation, the Levites suddenly appear again, and the tribe of Dan is long gone, which is a lot to say about that. There's some curious things. Yeah, my computer. There's a lot of curious things that are happening as to why that's happening, and we'll get to that probably some other episode way down the road. But for now, as a Bible nerd, I would be tripped up a little bit like, why is he referring to this? And I'm telling you, the way that the tribes are talked about and used, there's there's a benefit there for us just to know what's going on. So I'm going to do, I'm going to have you do some homework folks as you're listening to this. Cause yeah, I mean, we know that there's Israel is the Northern kingdom. Judah is the Southern kingdom. Right. And so to hear them talk about, cause, and this is going way back to the beginning of Hosea, but Hosea is talking to the Northern kingdom of Israel. Right. So it would make sense for him to always call them Israel. And yes, I remember looking into why does he keep referencing them as Ephraim when it's like, yeah, it just was so, that's it was so the, odd. That's one yeah. of the 10 tribes. Why are you picking yeah. this one? And it's not even. And it's a holistic name. Like he's, he's not just talking totally. to that tribe. He is talking to Israel as a whole, but calling it Ephraim. So. And he's picking a name that isn't even really a tribe. Yeah. That's curious to me. 
So I thought I'd bring it up and let people mm-hmm. just kind of ponder that. It is very interesting. All right, let's get practical. Let's get practical. Practical. Sweet. So <clears throat> I want to kind of talk about um, the aspect in this chapter where God is saying, like, I found you, Israel. Yeah. I saw you in the first season. Um, like the tenderness of God in that moment. And just to reiterate some things for you, like God knew you from the beginning and he sought you. He knit you together. He knew it all, all of it. Like, just think about that. The creator of the universe knows you, like knows everything about you. Like, and he loves you the same amount as when you were a mess or when you were doing, doing things right. Right. Like, that amount of love did not did not change because his love for you is not reliant on you. No. But on him. Because lo- love is what he is. Which not what you are. Thank God for that. I mean, yeah. It's crazy. And I'm really reminded of the the Maverick City song, Maverick City music song, Gyra. Love it. Which says I've I'll never be more loved than I am right now. Wasn't holding you up, God. So there's nothing I can do to let you down. It doesn't take a trophy to make you proud. I'll never be more loved than I am right now. And I was just reminded of that because I think a lot of times we think he loves us more now because we figured things out and we're like not doing a lot of those things we were doing. Sure. And truly... It has nothing to do with you. He's going to love you because he, he is love. Like that is what he is, you know? And it just really, that just really gets me. Like that God loves you and it's not contingent on you. So then like, what are you going to do about it? Right. You have a choice. Like, are you going to lean in to him and to that? Or are you going to turn away like the Israelites did? Right. And worship something else. And in this case, notice that the Israelites have been chosen and are still loved by God, even though he's about to send them to exile. I mean, and yeah, and like reading through all of those things, yep. he does still, I mean, he did say, and what is it, Gilgal is when I began to hate them. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't diminish that he does still love them, right? And not only does it not diminish that he still loves them, he loves them so much he's willing to punish them to try to get it straight. And then he's going to use even that punishment to ultimately reach the world to accomplish what he told Abraham, Abraham would do. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who mm-hmm. curse you. You will be a blessing to the nations, all of them. So, Because they're going to be wandering amongst them, right? Oh, totally. I mean, that's the whole storyline from here on out is they get exiled and then a lot of them don't ever come home mm-hmm. except for like pilgrimages. And what God's going to do is use those pilgrimages to send them back home to tell the real message, by the way, that Jesus is the one you've been waiting for. He's the mm. Messiah. So we'll get into that definitely in a later episode. But this idea is so pertinent for us to think about. Right? You can't be more loved than he loves you. Even if you haven't accepted him yet, he loves you. But there is a point where you have to decide, I, I'm in or I'm out. Am mm. I, I'm going to follow him or I'm not going to follow him. And then even when you 
you understand that you've been called by him, you still have to accept the gift. You can't say, well, I've been called by God, so now I'm going to go worship somebody else. That's a terrible idea. That's mm-hmm. not how this works, right? As we so. see going through Hosea, like that is not how it's supposed to work. Totally. So, totally. You know? Right. So when a rapper gets up and their their album was filthy and they're like, I want to thank God for this award. It's okay for us to be a little hesitant with maybe that language. Like, I don't really know if they understand what that means. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean that we should hate them. It just means that we should maybe pray for them and then hope that they see the light someday and, and figure out God's calling them to something greater. They just haven't seen it yet. Council Corner with Erica. I think that's timeless. It's great. <laughs> so just kind of continuing this thought on Let's Get Practical. Um, and really, actually, I guess this is kind of like almost like my council corner. I mean, I know this says council corner there, Erica, but this is like me opening up about my counseling experience okay. in a way. Like me showing you guys how I've counseled myself, if that makes sense. It's um, Erica counseling Erica. It really is. So... Kind of continuing from Let's Get Practical with with this idea of God's love. Um, it's truly what transformed my relationship with him and then in turn transformed how I saw myself, which then changed everything. Mm. So I struggled with self-esteem and a healthy self-concept for as long as I can remember. And I think, I think the majority of us, men or women, all struggle with that. Yes. And all of those token comments that Christian would Christians would like throw at people with a negative self-esteem, I mean, they're true comments, don't get me wrong. They're very true comments, but they never seem to work. They never seem to change it. They never seem to make it any better. You know, like those comments like, see yourself as God sees you, or God created you, so you should love that creation. And if you don't, then you're like making him sad. Or you are creation, just even just you are creation from God. Like all of those comments. Mm-hmm. And I felt like we always did these these girl nights where we would talk about these things. And I always wanted to almost vomit because I was like, they don't do anything for me. No. They're not fixing anything. They're not helping anything. They're kind of almost like a Band-Aid. Or maybe they just make some people feel but I don't know. They never really seem to work for me. The thing that started to change it for me was actually when I stopped focusing on myself mm-hmm. and fixing those things and started to just get to know God better. So I started with his love. I actually chose, I think it was one year. I don't know if it was my word of the year or I just know I just know I came home one summer from college and I was like, God's love. I'm going to really dive into that more. Mm-hmm. And truly, it wasn't really reading scripture. It was reading some of Christian novelist Karen Kingsbury, some of her books, like life changers. Like, I mean, just hearing some of how these people would love each other over like despicable things. And I was like, what? And it was all in the name of, of God's love. And I was like, so just in a novel, you kind of see it play out actual. And so you're like, Oh, that's kind of what it's supposed to look like. So I started to get to know his, his love better, but I also read, um, Crazy Love by Francis Chan, yep. which did a lot of that for me too. And just realizing that it's not contingent on me. Nope. I think that was huge. And this really freed me up because before this, shame and guilt is what ran my life with God. Mm-hmm. Like when I first started 
to truly follow him, middle of high school, it was all shame and guilt. Like, feeling bad because you're not reading enough, you're not praying enough, you're not whatever enough, Mm -hmm. or man, I did that again, or whatever it was. It was all shame and guilt related. And this really helped me to see that God's loved me no matter what. Doesn't matter how much I read the Bible. Doesn't matter how much I pray. It doesn't matter. Like that, it's not contingent on me. It doesn't matter what I do. And this actually made me want to lean into him more. Mm-hmm. Not really go out and do those things against him, but really like, wow, he, it's not common in, in this world for people to love you based on nothing that you do, right? A lot of it is very much conditional. So it really helped me to better understand myself as well. And I think my shame and guilt really affected how I saw myself. And so that was really, I think, dictating my negative self-esteem, my negative self-concept, and understanding that, like, God loves me in spite of all of it, and not actually with any of it. It doesn't even matter. Mm -hmm. That helped me, like, let go of that shame and guilt, which I think allowed me to see myself differently and not so negatively. And with all that gone, I could actually truly love myself as well. So. No, I think that's the most important part of the gospel is for us to understand he was going to do it without us regardless. Now it does benefit us, but we're almost a derivative of God's love toward us, which is kind of a crazy thing to think about. So I love that that's what freed you up finally and got to a spot where, oh, okay, I think I'm getting it. And I don't, the, the thing I struggle with youth ministry is I don't know how to do that. And I don't know that we can do it well ever because there's always going to be somebody that's going to misquote or misunderstand what you're saying. Right. So if I say everybody, God loves you, doesn't matter what you do, you have freedom in him. Students hear that as I can do anything I want to do <laughs> and it mm-hmm. doesn't matter. Well, of course it matters, but not in the sense that God loves you less or not in the sense that you're now out of God's kingdom or something but just more of if you do whatever you want to do, there are consequences. We're seeing it in Hosea. We're, mm-hmm. we're going to see it all over the Bible. Those consequences are brutal and they, they're hard, but at the same time, they're real. So for us to grapple with that and kind of come to a conclusion of, oh, okay, well, I think I, I think I understand. God loves me. He, I can't do anything to hurt him or my relationship with him. At the same time, if I understand that, I'm going to live for him differently than I would have. Yeah. That's good. Mm-hmm. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for yeah. listening to this episode of the Yamcast. We're still on Baby Watch. We are. It's not here yet. But close. It's coming. I mean, eventually, right? <laughs> All righty, everybody. Bye. Bye. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Yamcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Remember to check us out on all the socials like Instagram at the Yamcast. We love to hear back from you guys, so please leave us a comment or a review, and we might even send you guys a sticker. Also, if you have any questions that you'd like us to answer here on the podcast, you can email us at yamcastpod at gmail.com. That is yamcastpod at gmail.com. 